0: Ahmadu bin lahmashaem, Smillah al Rahman al Rahim Alhamdulillah Hirubina Alameen W Sala to Ala Sayyidina Wanabiana, Abil Qasim al Mustafa Muhammad Alihi at Tayyibin At Tahirin, Walla'ana Tudahimwa Ala Adahim Ajmaeen, Minal Aane Ilakiomiddin. Salaam Salam anikum dear brothers and sisters. I hope everyone is doing well inshallah and welcome to another episode of our tafsir of Durakumil podcast. We ended here in the du'a where Ali ibn Abi Talib, he started to bring up again this hypothetical situation where a servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would be praying to him, would be repenting to him. And even though he is praying to him and repenting to him and calling for his mercy, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not do anything and would stand there and watch him. So this is what Ali Ibn Abi Talib was saying, and we this is where we ended in the dua. He said, He said, Ya Allah, do you think, and would you ever see yourself doing this, that you see a servant of yours, Sujinafiha bi He is there in the hellfire. He is imprisoned in the hellfire and he is tasting the flavor of the hellfire and the punishment of the hellfire right? he's getting a taste of that punishment and he is stuck between the different levels or the different circles of the hellfire because of his wrongdoing and his mistakes do you see the do you see yourself standing there and just watching him while he is asking for your help and as these lines come to an end, maybe because this this sentence really doesn't end, he's just going to add more phrases to the sentence, it's going to go on for another 15 phrases roughly. Um, at the end of it, he comes to this point that no, you would never do that. And we started to explain yesterday that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for those who genuinely call for his mercy, his mercy will be there as opposed to those who call for his mercy but they don't really they're not really looking for the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they're just trying to trick Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to get rid of the punishment that they are dealing with. And we have verses of the Quran that refer to that. So that's essentially where we ended So let's start here in this new episode. And this servant of yours is stuck in these different layers or levels of the hellfire. Because of his mistakes and because of his wrongdoings. Okay, what is this referring to exactly? And what are the different levels or layers of the hellfire? When we delve into Quran and Hadith, although the Quran has not you know, explicitly talked about the different levels of hellfire, but what you do find in Hadith is that the Ahlul Bayt have taught us that the hellfire does have different levels. And of course, we would know that within these different levels, there are going to be different levels as well. Um, these just seem to be seven main categories or seven main levels that we have in the Hellfire, and as the Hadith says that Hellfire has seven gates and it has seven, uh, you know, levels. The Heaven, on the other hand, has eight, right? And this is there's a, there's uh, a symbolic meaning in this as well of how the rahmah and the mercy of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala always takes precedence over His wrath and over His punishment. But these seven that are there, uh, it's interesting because uh, the Qur'an does say we have seven gates into the hellfire, right? kulli minhum juzun maqsum. Every group of people are essentially allocated to one of these gates. They will enter into hellfire through one of these gates just based on the type of deeds that they were doing. So the Qur'an talks about the gates of the hellfire, but it does not touch on the idea of how many levels we have in the hellfire. In a hadith we have that Ali ibn Abi Talib he used to say that yes, hellfire has seven gates and it has seven levels. And then the hadith continues to explain that when the Imam reached this point he then took one of his hands and placed it upon the other. And he said the same way my two hands are upon one another there will be level upon level in the hellfire and there will be seven. And a number of scholars have mentioned, again, it seems as though this is coming from hadith because we have multiple hadith about this, that some of these levels, they are, their names are mentioned in the Quran. Saqar is, for example, one of them and there are other ones as well. There's Jahim, for example. There is the level known as the level of Hawiyah. There is a level known as Sa'ir. There's a level known as Lada. And these are all, of course, words that the Qur'an uses uh, to refer to people entering into hellfire. What we do know, and of course I say we don't know exactly how all of this is going to work because we have different hadith and our hadith have different names allocated to these different levels. But the couple of things that we do know is that first of all the Qur'an makes it very clear that whatever these levels are at the very very bottom, and this is the scary part really, that at the very very bottom are going to be the Munafiqeen. The Quran says clearly, Inna asfali minan. They are at the lowest level of the hellfire. So we know that. We also know that in this in these seven levels of the hellfire, there is a level, and you would naturally assume that it is the highest level, meaning that the least punishment of hellfire. For those who believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for those who who didn't reject the message fundamentally, but had shortcomings in their deeds, right? Or those who were hurting other individuals. But at the end of the day, they had a little bit of good inside of them, but they might have done some wrongdoing, Some they might have had sh- some shortcomings for those people, right? And Hadith also talks about that and says that the first level, which again is essentially the best level or the least, you know, the level with the least punishments, that level is allocated to those who will make it essentially out of hellfire eventually, right? And they're there because these sins of theirs need to be purified. Right? You know, sometimes we ask this question, we say, someone who believes in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he's he's a Muslim, for example, but he has all of these wrong deeds. And these are wrong deeds that he's not repenting from, by the way, either. These are wrong deeds that he seems to just be fine with. What is the fate of this individual? It seems as though when he makes it into the next world, for a certain time he will be in the hellfire and then after that of course he will be able to make it into heaven but that amount of time that he is in hellfire it seems as though he would be in this level so there are multiple levels but again we don't want to go into the details here because as i mentioned not all of the details are set in stone uh all we know is that like the thing is uh, here's the point that i wanted to make really is because when we talk about these different levels a lot of times people might think to themselves well okay it's, it's not a problem if I'm going to end up in Hellfire for a little bit and it's just the first level, then that shouldn't really be a problem. And that always baffles me, the way we go about things and the way we think about Hellfire because Hellfire is so such a difficult thing to experience that you don't even want it for a second. You don't even want it for five seconds. It's kind of like saying, right, if someone made this deal with us and this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by the way, does not make this deal with us because of how absurd it sounds. Imagine if someone made a deal with you that, yeah, you could go and live, like, I will give you this mansion, right? And you will be able to live in this mas- mansion for the next hundred years of your life, right? And you will have people who will bring you food and water and everything that you want to have. But the only catch to that deal is that you have to lie here, right? And and a truck has to run over you, for example. Now, the truck running over you is going to take how long? It's probably going to take like five seconds, maybe less, Right? But the pain is so excruciating that you would never take that offer, right? At least I hope not. So <laughs> you would never take that offer. you will be like, "No, this is crazy. I'm, I, I won't do that. I'd rather live in a small house, right, and not have to deal with that." That's why Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, when it comes to the Hellfire, He never tells us, "Oh yeah, go on and do whatever you want to do, right?" Because even if you end up in the Hellfire, you'll just have to deal with it for a little bit, and then you'll go on. Because that little bit, first of all, it's a little bit for you know, uh, you know, compared to eternity, maybe, but. That little bit is a long amount of time, first of all. Second of all, the pain is so excruciating that you don't even want it for a split second, let alone, you know, a day or a month or two months or anything of that nature. So, having said that, Ali ibn Abi Talib was saying, Ya Allah, if you saw this servant of yours who stuck between these different levels of the hellfire, and while he stuck there, he is lamenting to you, right? He's crying and he's weeping. Essentially, he's asking for your help. And this is the critical part, the critical phrase uh, in this Dua. He says, And he will be calling you the way the people who believe in your oneness will call you. What does that mean? That means he's a person who believes in your oneness. right? That means that he speaks as though and as, as one of those who believes in the fact that you are one. So fundamentally, He never rejected your message. Okay. And He is asking you by the right of your rububiyah. What is rububiyah? What does the word Rabb mean? You know how we say, alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. This word Rabb, of course, we would, you know, roughly when we're translating it and just want to move on, we we would use the word, uh, you know, Lord. We'd say, praise belongs to the lord of the worlds whereas the reality is that that's not very much of a precise translation or equivalent for the word rub the word rub comes from Rububiya and it re- refers to the idea of nurturing something right so the step by step taking care of and raising an individual is what we call Rububiyyah. That's why the verses of the Quran say Ya Allah, have mercy on my parents huma. Have mercy on them Kama rabbayani sagheera. The way they nurtured me when I was a child. So Rububiyyah means the idea of you knowing that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la is taking care of you every second. As opposed to this perspective where some people live their life, by the way, in this way. Where they just say that, yeah, God created us and then left us to just be. That's a person who believes in the khaliqiyat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but he does not believe in the rububiyat. He believes in the creation, the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us but he does not believe in the idea that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala every step of the way is there to take care of you right, and to nurture you as well. So the du'a is saying وَيَتَوَسَّلُ إِلَيْكَ بِرُبُوبِيَّتِكَ And he is calling and he is essentially asking for your help through what? Through your rububiyyah. So he is acknowledging that you were the one who was always in charge. Right? You know how the line before said he is calling you like those who believe in your oneness. And we said this means that he's one of those who believes in the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Here he is asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by his rububiyyah. What does that mean? That means he believes in the rububiyyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Therefore, he is not a mushrik. Right? A mushrik is essentially the reason why the people of the time of the Prophet were mushrik was not because they did not believe in God. When you read the verses of the Quran, it's very clear that they in fact did believe in God. They actually believed in this Allah, right? But what they didn't believe in was whether Allah was running the show. What they didn't believe in was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was the one who was taking care of their needs as well. They used to say, no, these idols will take care of our needs. That's why we have to worship them because God created us, but now these guys are in charge. These are the guys who are running the show. Okay. So if someone calls Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and is asking him by the right of his rububiyya, what does that mean? That means this person does not believe in any mushrik or or, or any sharik for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He does not believe... That anyone is associated with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala when it comes to this world and running this world and the affairs of this world. Okay, having said that, he says this: "Ya yabqa fil'adab, yarju min hilmik." You tell me, Ya Allah, how is this person? How is it possible that this person would remain in the punishment of hellfire, while he is having hope? and he is awaiting and anticipating the mercy and the type of mercy that you've showed him in the past. How is that possible? In other words, by asking this question, Ali ibn Abi Talib is saying such a thing will never happen. He's saying such a thing is not possible. That he will have that hope towards you and you will not respond to that hope. How is it possible that the hellfire will bring him pain, will be bothering him, right? While he has hope in your mercy? That's not possible either. And in this phrase, there's a very beautiful play, there's a very beautiful way of using the words, right? Because the two words that Ali ibn Abi Talib is using here. Are very close to each other in terms of the root word. How will the punishment of hellfire bother him and pain him? And the root word is alam, right? And then he says, while he has hope, and the root word of hope is amal. So alam and Amal. He says these two, it's very beautiful, he's saying these two, they do not go with one another. If someone has Amal of yours, and that Amal is genuine, right? it's not the type of Amal that is not genuine. No, it's genuine type of Amal. If that's there, then how is this going to be compatible with the Alam? He's using these two words to really bring a comparison and a contrast. Uh, to explain how Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala will respond to the call of this individual how will that pain him while you are there and he is waiting and anticipating and has hope of your mercy am wa anta tasma'u wa makana or how is it going to be possible that the hellfire the flame of it will burn this individual while you can hear his voice and you can see his place in the hellfire this line is a very beautiful follow-up uh, of the of the you know previous line. He says, Beyond that, how will it be such that the groaning that's the noise? Zafir is that noise that the hellfire makes. The noise of the hellfire will take over the ver- the voice of this individual. So you won't be able to hear him anymore while you know of his weakness while you know of how vulnerable he is in the hellfire see in the previous line he said could you stand there and hear this person in this line he's taking it a step further he's saying no when the hellfire breathes heavily because the verses of the Quran says la hazafirun wa right that the Quran says that the hellfire has this makes this very severe and heavy you know breathing sound says when the hellfire makes this noise and زفيرها, it essentially engulfs his voice like his voice is lost in the voice or in the sound of the hellfire when this happens but you still know he's in there how will you be able to watch him while he's still looking forward to your help am wa anta ta'lamu or how is it that he will be convulsing amongst its levels right while you know of the fact that when he is calling for your help his call is genuine okay we i want to pause here because in the verses of the Quran we do have instances where people will call for the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they will call for the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the answer that will come is is essentially sheer rejection it's just no you're not going to have this mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala right the Quran says that there are people who end up in hellfire and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَلَا تت... وَلَا Like don't even talk, right? So that's because their call is not genuine. But here the dua is saying how do you sit there and watch him when you know and You know that he is truthful in his call. أَمْ كَيْفَ وَهُوَ يُنَادِيكَ يَا رَبَّهُ and how will you sit there and watch the guardians of the hellfire punish this individual while he is calling out my Lord? You know, my Lord is like my nurturer, the one who takes care of me. It's just like when a child will call out the name of their mother when they're really going through a hard time, right? Usually you'll see individuals, they will call out, they will they will remember their mother because their mother was the one who was nurturing them, who had that close relationship with them, who was taking care of them every day. Now he says... How will you be able to watch it while this person calls out the one who was taking care of him every day? And that same one who is God will watch him even though he sees he's in need of his help, but he won't help him. Again, all of this Ali ibn Abi Talib is saying in order to explain that this will never happen. How will he have hope to be freed from the hellfire, right? While you just leave him there? That's not going to happen. Hayhaat. This is very far away. Far be it. What does that mean? That means this is far away from who you are. مَذَلِكَ This is not what we have expected of you. And this is also not what we have come to know of who you are. If you remember earlier on in the episodes we talked about this, how Ali ibn Abi Talib, when he's talking about the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he does not speak of it as if it is a done deal. He does not speak of it as if the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is something that He is demanding. No. He speaks of it even though we know it's going to be there when we ask for it. He speaks of it as something as a maybe. Right? Ya Allah, will you do this? This is what, he doing, what He's doing here again. Ma ذلك I don't think this is what we, you know, this is what you would do. This is not what we have come to know from you When we look at the way you do things, this is not how you normally do things. Okay. And this is a line that inshallah uh, you know as wrapping up this episode but inshallah in the next episode we'll uh, delve a little bit more deeper into al min wa This is not similar to the way that you have dealt with those who believe in your oneness wa Because with them, you showed kindness, you showed mercy. So this person being in hellfire and truly and genuinely calling your name and you not responding, this doesn't seem to be the way you would ever do things. Inshallah, in the next episode, we're going to talk about this phrase a little bit more. Why is it that Ali ibn Abi Talib is emphasizing on muwahideen? Right? He could have said, Ya Allah, this is not how you deal with any of your servants but that's not what he said. In fact, he's going to use this phrase of muwahideen to then categorize individuals into two main categories. And of course, these two categories will have a number of subcategories but in, from his perspective, he's saying these are the two categories that we have to work with. The muwaḥhidīn, and then this other group and we'll talk about that, inshallah. And he will, you will see a huge contrast between uh, the, two, the two of these uh, categories and we'll talk about it as well because the discussion of who ends up in hellfire and why they end up in hellfire and who qualifies for the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and who does not, that is something that we will inshallah delve into and discuss in the following episode inshallah until then keep us in your du'as wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh